Nashville, Tennessee, and broadcasting throughout the world, you have now crossed over to the far side. And welcome back to the program, everyone. It's been a cold and icy time here in Tennessee. As a matter of fact, we had right around half an inch of ice all over the roads. The interstates themselves were closed down. You couldn't go anywhere when this last ice storm hit. This was the worst ice storm that I remember since the 90s. And even back in the 90s, it simply wasn't this bad. Here in Tennessee, we don't necessarily get just snow. We get ice. And I know on Twitter, a lot of people were making jokes about us. Tennesseans don't know how to drive in the snow. But I'll tell you, folks, when there's a quarter inch up to half an inch or more of ice on the roads... Nobody is driving on that thing without wrecking, period. <laughs> the only thing you can do is put on some ice skates and go to work. And if that wasn't bad enough, folks, my wife came down with the flu. And being the type of family that we are, we share things. And <laughs> I ended up with the flu as well. And right now, I'm not 100%, but I thought I'd... Come around and bring Cindy Frazier on the air with me today to discuss many things, including her now deceased mother, Elizabeth Barron. Elizabeth Barron was a world-renowned psychic exorcist and many other things. We're talking about someone who has talent and has the proof for it. And we are going to be discussing Sandy's mother, Elizabeth Barron. And there is an autobiography of the most documented modern-day mystic of our time, none other than Elizabeth Barron. And if you are interested in purchasing the book after listening to this interview and getting to know some about Elizabeth, then you can go to thefarside.tv slash loveandlight. That is thefarside.tv slash loveandlight and light without further ado ladies and gentlemen let's bring sandy frazier on the line and we'll talk about her mother as well as to discuss sandy's own talents she's a musician a beautifully talented musician and she's also an artist as well as a publicist sandy welcome to the far side it is my pleasure to be here and uh calling from the deep freeze on Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and recently we were the deep freeze of Tennessee, something you rarely ever hear. Oh, I know. Gosh, I, you know, I have family, and uh, actually my mother's from Tennessee, Bristol, but, you know, you don't hear about the big snowstorms, but everything's so strange these days. It's like the whole world's turned upside down. <laughs> Maybe it has. You've probably heard of polar shifts before. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> now, let's get to your mother. Her name was Elizabeth Barron, and I say was because she recently passed away, what was it, a year ago now? Yeah, in January. It was uh, one year uh, on January 20th. Um, she had a, a, quite a long illness with, with her kidneys and, mm. and uh, finally uh, passed away in January, and we miss her every single day. My family is just, it's like a big giant hole, you know, yeah. can't be, ever be filled again. I completely understand. <laughs> you said she died of kidney 
something with her kidneys. M my own father had a, uh, he almost died in 2008. His kidneys failed him. When we actually found him, he had, was practically bleeding to death. Oh, um, all these years later, he's now on dialysis. He's mostly good, but was your mother eventually on dialysis and her kidneys just kept getting worse or what happened? No, no. She, um, she was pretty much a, you know, uh, a holistic person all her life. And she never even took an aspirin, mm. you know? And so she wouldn't do any of the medications or the dialysis or anything. And I think she just, you know, she wanted to, she knew when her time was up and she, she was peaceful and, I remember I just talked to her every single day and, you know, we tried to convince her to do it, but she wanted to go au naturel. Yeah. Sometimes that's the best way to go. That's for sure. Your mother, what really stood out to me is like you said, she was originally from Tennessee and like myself, she was a Baptist. She was, she was raised up a Baptist. Yeah. But what really got to me is at some point in her life, the spirit of a Catholic nun came into her life. I mean, if I was a Baptist, I'd be like, hold on a minute. I think you got the wrong person because I am a Baptist, not a Catholic. Oh, listen, she was on TV and radio all through her career. And uh, from probably, I would say the early 80s, mm -hmm. she got really, uh, you know, um, into doing a, a lot of radio shows. She had her own radio show in Las Vegas for quite some time. And uh, then she moved to Charleston, South Carolina, and she got pretty well known over there where she was doing predictions on TV and things like that. And everybody, you know how it is in the Bible Belt. I mean, everybody would say, wow, how in the world could you be possessed of a, of a 14th century nun, you know, a Catholic nun, a Catholic saint? And uh, she, <laughs> that was part of what made her story so original and unique because she said she's the last person that she, you know, what do they call it? a fallen, uh, fallen Baptist, a lapsed Baptist <laughs> <laughs> would be, uh, uh, visited by a nun in a habit that just sort of took over her life. And, um, you know, all through the eighties and the nineties and at, even after, uh, the turn of the century, um, she was doing trance sessions where people would come from miles around and fill up a giant room and they would, she would tune in and give them messages from the great beyond. And it was pretty shocking to watch because she would literally lay down. It was like an Edgar Casey sleeping prophet type thing, you know, where, I mean, she literally would lay down and go to sleep. And sometimes it was hard to get revive her, <laughs> but she uh, she would just lay down and tune in and and allow the spirits to come through and and she did this on national TV on on Geraldo in the 90s. Um, he actually asked her to come to New York because one of his uh, producers was uh, having problems with a haunted brownstone. And so she went to New York. We all went on the Geraldo show, and she was on the panel. And uh, after, you know, and then they showed the uh, the film of her going through this brownstone and cleaning. It was almost like the movie Poltergeist, you know. And my mother was so petite, <laughs> not as petite as that woman, but she would go in and and pray and release the spirits. And and basically, 
she told them every single thing that she told them was exactly true. I mean, they researched the history of this brownstone and found out that it used to be a brothel of ill repute and, you know, they were doing strange, you know, like S&M type things and everything. And she said right on Geraldo, you know, Geraldo's a skeptic. So, mm-hmm. you know, she, she would tell the story and she said, oh, it's just horrible the things that they're doing. And my mother was pretty, uh, um, what do you call it? Not straight laced or, or stodgy or anything like that. But, you know, to see things like that, she was just stunned. She was shocked. And uh, so it was, it made for good television and people did not understand all the pain and suffering she went through to, you know, uh, keep a, a, a life of celibacy and uh, great discipline in order to channel uh, her, her spirit guide. Mm-hmm. You were speaking about how she will lay down kind of like Edgar Casey and uh, give readings. I actually found through Vimeo.com. Uh, let's see. The account was under Rollin Films. Yeah. Where your mother had actually released several videos. It's a uh, Elizabeth Barron's 2009 annual predictions. Yeah, that was uh, those, those those tapes. Uh, those videos are my brother actually made those oh, for okay. doing the predictions and and tuning in. You know, I mean, throughout the 90s, I think, or the early, through the 80s and the 90s, you know, we weren't, <laughs> we weren't so media savvy like we are now with all the, you know, things with the internet. And so, you know, I took lots of pictures and I actually have videos of, of her throughout all the 90s, pretty much, um, as she would go and do exorcisms. And, and of course, she was on TV a lot. And so... You know, one of her first interviews actually was a haunting in, I think it was Mount Pleasant in uh, South Carolina. And our our good friend James Meyer, who's uh, the uh, professor that she was with for, they were together for like 30 years. They had such a wonderful relationship. He, He does these interviews with me a lot because he was with her through so many of those things. But uh, Inside Edition came out, you know, the show Inside Edition, and one of her first interviews was with Bill O'Reilly <laughs> when he was on Inside Edition. Yes. So, you know, later on in the 90s, when I got into radio a lot, you know, with my job, uh, we would go to Manhattan and, and uh, kind of schmooze with all the radio people, and so she... She ran into Bill O'Reilly at one of these things. She said, well, I don't know if you remember me, but, you know, I did one of my first interviews with you, and it was really, really great. I mean, they went into this house that was haunted and, you know, told the history of it and everything, and then she went in and laid down and sort of brought, you know, brought all the the evil spirits out. And uh, she did that a lot. I mean, she did a lot of exorcisms. Mm -hmm. I actually have on my website a... A really poignant article that I wrote years ago called "My Mother the Exorcist." <laughs> yes, I've actually read that. I know. Well, it was you know it was it was so interesting. Is not even a word that I mean. It's just like it's such an understatement to have even known her. And I mean, when I was a little girl, I thought she was a princess because my mother was so beautiful, you know, physically. And I wanted her to marry Elvis Presley. <laughs> but honestly, she, as, as she progressed spiritually and she started studying with the spiritualist church out in San Diego and traveled around the country and, 
she was never without a book in her hand, just giving herself the education of a lifetime. And the hundreds of thousands of people that have that she read for over the years, I mean, they can attest to the fact that her readings were so accurate. It was just, and she was doing readings almost to the very end, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. Even when she couldn't even hold her head up anymore, she, she was doing, uh, she was a prolific painter and she was painting, did some of her best paintings the, the year she passed away and she did a lot of readings. So it was uh, <laughs> more than interesting. Yes. What was it like for your mother to grow up in the South around parents who probably did not believe in the uh, paranormal? Because like myself, my parents at first, at least my mother, she is a strong Southern Baptist. For a long time, she didn't believe in aliens. She didn't believe in ghosts. Now she does. Well, the thing about it is when you when you're you go to the Baptist church or, you know, a lot of the uh, not just the Baptist church, but I'm saying they condemn a lot of these things because they believe that any kind of, uh, you know, spiritual entity is of the devil. You mm-hmm. know, and if you've ever been to one of those those kind of holy roller churches that I like to call them that I even, I even wrote a song called Baptized Again. It's on my website, and, and, and I, I pay tribute to those churches. And, and growing up in the Baptist church, not in the Deep South, because we, we were actually living in Chicago, and still went to the Southern Baptist Church. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> but um, it was, you know, you were just, you were condemned if you uh, spoke about spirits and things like that. But when she was a child... You know, she, I mean, they lived in, you know, in a shack. They were, they were dirt poor. I mean, it's literally a coal miner's daughter story. And my mom had, you know, her mother, her mother had something like 13 kids. Wow. And her father was, um, had all kinds of problems like, you know, in the head, so Mm -hmm. to speak. And one day he even shot himself in the head in front of her. And she went through her life, you know, remembering this horrible memory of, of her father. And he actually lived. (laughs) Their, their, uh, her maiden name was Harless. So the Harlesses are very resilient. Um, but her mother, you know, basically died of exhaustion and, uh, from having all those kids probably, but, you know, so, they, uh, you know, they had a smokehouse and a probably an outhouse and everything else. So my mother spent her early years just trying to escape the, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of stigma, and became a very successful businesswoman in Chicago in the '60s and the early '70s. She owned two employment agencies that wow. were very successful. And the irony about it all, Bob, is that. You know, what she ended up doing with her life, her life's work, being a medium, a spiritual counselor, she, that was all preparing her because people came to her, you know, in these search firms back in the, in the 60s and 70s, they would, they would go to her and she would teach them how to dress and walk and talk and, you know, get a good job and go back to school and things like that. So she was pretty way, way far advanced for 
a woman of the 60s and the early 70s, you know, having having uh, her own business. Yes. That big of a business. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was it was really rough, you know, I mean, for her because she she basically ran the show. She was very, very much in charge and very independent and strong willed. And I think I, I don't know, I feel her spirit around me all the time. And, Mm. and I I even think that she uh, had something to do with my recent move because she, um, I'm living in Huntington village in Long Island. And it's just this beautiful little sort of like a mini Greenwich village. And I used to bring her here all the time and we would go to the outdoor cafes and, you know, things like that. We really had a good time. And she always said, one day you're going to live there. And then suddenly I found the apartment of my dreams and I knew she had something to do with that. (laughs) Well, that's nice that she continues to guide you, even though she's no longer physically here. I, I I truly believe that because, and you know, being with her all of my life, so to speak, I mean, I always thought, you know, she would come back as a spirit and appear before me. Mm-hmm. I even, even remember telling her, I said, Mom, you know, if, if God forbid that you should die or something, I said, please don't come, don't appear before me at night, you know, because I might get really <laughs> scared. <laughs> and, and she's, you know, but that's not how it happens. It's like all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I can hear her telling me to do things probably continuing the way she was in real life. (laughs) But she would say things like now, and you know, sort of plant a thought in my head. Mm -hmm. Now here's what you need to do next. And I would write it down and I would find myself waking up in the middle of the night and just writing it almost like a dream journal Yeah. and writing down all the different things that she was telling me that I needed to do. And I appreciate it because I think that her perspective from the afterlife is probably, you know, she has many more advantages than mm-hmm. we have in, in our little world here on Earth. When your mother comes to you in this way, does it make you miss her more, or is it almost like she's still here and you you just have to pick up the psychic phone? Oh, my God. I mean, it's it just kills me. I just, you know, I was talking to my sister who... You know, we all deal with the passing of a loved one in different ways. And she sort of put up her guard and everything. And I I thought, well, you know, she's handling it the way she needs to cope. And those are her coping mechanisms, you know. And so she sort of moved on with her life. And she said, I think mom would be proud of me for doing this. And I said, well, I think you're exactly right. And I told her, I said, I don't think I'll ever get over losing mom. She said, really? And I said, yeah, well... You know, I, I'm I'm the third, uh, ch- her third child out of seven, and you know we were very close. And mm-hmm. but I mean I find myself you know in tears thinking about it, and then it's almost like she picks me up and just says, "Now come on, you know, you're still in the in the you know with the living, and you've got to move on." Yes. <laughs> so she gives me strength. I think she's my guardian angel. You know, I'm not exactly sure what you think about this side and that side, but to me, it's just a uh, matter of pretty much we're just separated by by a veil of frequencies. Well, she spoke a lot. I'll tell you, she taught in her classes. She had beginner's meditation 
an advanced meditation. Mm. And she had these classes that she taught all of her life, um, you know, from the time that she got her calling. And uh, she spoke a lot about different dimensions. And like you said, polar shifts and things like that. She made a lot of predictions over the years about the shifting of, you know, I mean, of course, a lot of people who study uh, paranormal activities and different things like that, not, not these crazy ghost shows and all that with these <laughs> infrared lights and all yes. that. I mean, those, those shows are making a mockery, in my opinion, of what's really going on and how you really tune in to the spirits in the afterworld. You know, I'm right that's there not with how you. you do it. You don't, you don't go into somebody's house, you know, or a prison, an abandoned prison or whatever, and walk around and act like you've got some, you know, some right to be there. And they really do. They make a total mockery of, you know, the, the people that, like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Houdini, uh, you know, um, Maurice Maeterlinck, all the, the people from long ago, mm-hmm. <laughs> Madame Blavatsky the, in the Psychical Research Society. I mean, those people really put their work in uh, researching mediums, uh, the afterlife, and paranormal activities. And, mm-hmm. of course, they didn't have these infrared lights and stuff like that back then, and these crazy kids who run, run around making these shows. But it, it was... <sighs> there's so many... It's like you said, you can find things on YouTube now. I found a video on YouTube of one of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's first uh, seances that he mm. did. And it's so fascinating. It really is. And you see him talking about it, and he truly, truly was a believer. But not in the way that these people nowadays are saying. I'm not saying everybody's like that, but it's just, it's just a shame. Because what my mother did, she left such a legacy behind. And her book, it could have been a 1,000 pages, and mm-hmm. we whittled it down to like 400. But there's so many... Um, news articles written about her and, uh, you know, video transcripts and all that of her being on TV for years. So we're trying to work on a documentary film, you know, and kind of chisel it down to the basics and, you know, really tell the story of exactly what she did on this earth as, as what we call the most documented, um, mystic of her time. Yes. And the movie is called the Elizabeth Barron stories. Am I on the correct website, ElizabethBarronMovie.com? Well, that was, uh, my brother had started a project years ago. That's not the one that we're working on. Uh, now okay. we're just trying to, we're trying to gather all of the, <laughs> you know how it is, you go through all the stuff mm-hmm. and having just moved and everything, I can't believe how much stuff I found. I, I found uh, cassette tapes of readings from the seventies to eighties, videotapes, um, you know, all kinds of news articles, and I'm going to be working with the Poes. I don't know if you know Richard, Richard and Marie Poe. Uh, Richard Poe is a New York Times best-selling author. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was my client for years and really good friend. And they do documentary films now, so I'm working with them on putting together. I already wrote the treatment, and it's going to be so fascinating. And I just can't wait to to get it done. Um, I had to make some adjustments in my life in order to clear the way to get started on it because, you know, I needed to move and different things like that. But I feel like I, I sort of cleaned house over the past uh, 
several months and getting ready to do this documentary. It's just, I, it's going to be fabulous because my mother was just so, <laughs> I'll tell you. It sounds like her. it. I, like I said, I saw her 2009 annual predictions and also on YouTube, I saw that she had done only one video, but it was called, I forgot exactly what it was called. Essentially, uh, it was Elizabeth Barron's Ghost of America or something like that. And there was only well, one episode. Go, yeah, if you go to elizabethbarron.net, there's a media page and I've got four clips up there. Um, they're not very, very good, but I'm trying to uh, work with, you know, these people that are, that can you know, make better copies of the videos and things like that. But you can see the stories. I mean, she, she did um, several uh, things on the Travel Channel. She did a couple of uh, documentary-type uh, films on the Travel Channel and HGTV where they came out to Charleston because, you know, Charleston has so many haunted houses. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> so it was like the ghost of Charleston. They actually have... Uh, organizations where you can go there and they take you on the ghost tours and things like that. But she did, she went into Drayton Hall, which was one of the famous mansions, uh, I should say, plantations, you know, in Charleston. And it shows her walking through the house and tuning into his spirit and, um, you know, telling the entire story. And my mother wasn't uh, much, <laughs> she wasn't much into researching these things or anything. So, <laughs> She was a clean channel. She was a clear channel, you know. Mm -hmm. She just, whenever she did a reading, she would say, you know, don't tell me anything. You know, don't tell me your birthday or your life story. Uh, she would just tune in, and that's how she, she got so clear, you know. Yes. That's the best <laughs> way to do it, in my opinion. Whether you are going into a haunted house or if you're giving readings to somebody. Now, I'm pretty sure that you've heard of, uh, darn it. It was on the top of my head. Give me a <laughs> That's what I get for being sick here. Uh, well, James von Prague is one. He's actually, um, he actually met my mom, I think, in the, uh, when was it? Oh, I don't even remember when it was. It wasn't that long ago, but uh, she was doing, she was at, I think, in Seattle or something, doing a convention, and he came up to her and said, you know, gosh, you're my mentor. You're, you know, I've followed you for years. Mm. And my mother was not, you know, she was, didn't get the publicity that she deserved mm -hmm. nationally, like some of these other um, mediums that they go out and, you know, they, they had these shows where they have a, a, a studio audience and they say, oh, I see an M. Oh, wait, I see an S over here, you yes. know, and stuff like that. She would say that that is some sort of mind uh, control. It's a, it's a, it's an actual science that a lot of people can learn to do that. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't make them, a, you know, a medium. Yes. The person I was actually thinking of was an individual by the name of Sylvia Brown. What was your mother's opinion about Sylvia Brown? Well, I think Sylvia passed away, too, didn't she? About she, she did. Two she years did, ago yes. Um, she wasn't a big fan. I, to be honest, she wasn't a really big fan of Sylvia's. Um, a lot of us aren't. <laughs> Yeah, probably empathized with her a lot, but she thought that, you know, it's like I said, my mother had to live a real disciplined life. And, you know, I mean, as far as, you know, I think Sylvia Brown was probably more of a kind of celebrity entertainer, mm -hmm. so to speak. And uh, I don't know that much about her, to be honest. 
Well, well, one of her, let's just say she had a lot of flops, and one of her biggest flops was on another program called Coast to Coast AM back right. when, I think it was in Virginia, the miners who yeah. had uh, been caught in the mine. Oh, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and she said that every one of them, they're alive. And yeah, within like 30 really... or so minutes later, it came a report out that all but one of the miners were dead. And she then changed her story. He said, no, no, darling, that's not what I said. Let me tell you what I said. <laughs> <laughs> she got caught on air. And she tried to flip it back. Well, you know, no, no medium. I don't know if she was a, a bona fide medium or just a psychic or what. My mom, she actually hated being called a psychic. She said, you know, she studied and worked very hard for years and years um, being a clear channel so she could be a trance medium, mm -hmm. you know, uh, like, you know, much in the same way that Edgar Casey was. Yes. And she, you know, because psychics say everybody can call themselves a psychic if they have a deck of cards or, a, you know, crystals or, you know, they're, they're using astrology in part. And mostly they're not. I've been to psychics like that, so-called psychics. Mm -hmm. And they're really not, um, they're not in tune the way they should be. And she, that's what she said about Sylvia Brown, that she said if you go to a medium and they're not spiritual and they don't pray beforehand and ask God to put the words in their mouth, mm -hmm. then beware because it's probably just them tuning into your your higher self in, in a way that, you know, many people can just for obvious reasons. Yes. That's actually something that I do before I come on the air. I just bow down. I pray it's a part of who I am. And I ask that I'm able to do the best that I can, whether I'm sick or not, because I, I don't feel that even though if I write questions down or whatever, it's not coming yeah. from me. It's coming from a higher authority that's allowing me to ask these questions. Well, and that says a lot to who you are because it's almost like you're surrendering to your higher self and you, and you only want the best to come out of, you know, the best from your mind and your soul, you know, to emerge on your show. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always happen. It does. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. She always said, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable unto you, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. And then she would go on and tell you everything about your life and what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was, I have like millions of tapes. <laughs> she would record everything. And there are people all over the world with her, their, her own cassette tapes from, you know, the eighties. And then as she moved on in technology, you know, she put everything on CDs mm -hmm. and, it was great. Would you be able to give uh, give us a uh, top five list of what your mo mother predicted that came true? Oh, my God. There's so many. Um, actually, I have. It's in the. Uh, her book is called Love and Light. Mm -hmm. You can get it on Amazon. And I asked her that. I said, I said, Mom, before, uh, you know, I finish editing your book and I, I was helping her edit it while she was laying there dying for a year. Um, I said, we need to make a list of, you know, the top predictions that you made and, and, you know, their outcome and stuff like that. So I know it's, let's see, I'm looking at the book, but it's, there are all kinds of stories in here too. <laughs> Every time I open this book, I'm like, whoa, you know, there's the Beltway sniper story. Mm -hmm. how she went on national radio and while she was on the air, 
this was back in 2002, um, she was on the radio doing, you know, radio interview, people calling in, trying to get readings, mini readings. And she said, oh, my God. She said, I'm seeing something about this Beltway sniper. They're looking for the wrong car. And she told them that it was a, it was a blue car instead of a, I don't know what they were saying, a red car or something. A white van. Yeah. <laughs> and so they ended up writing, doing an article on Newsmax about it because it was so unbelievable that she was on the radio right when she made the prediction and then the police went and got the guy. Mm-hmm. You know? I remember they shut down the interstates. They shut down everything trying to find this person. Yeah. And, and they and were she, looking in the wrong direction. Well, a lot of times she would get messages like that and... You know, it would come at the craziest times, but to be on the air on a national program and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, mm -hmm. there it is. Hello. <laughs> you know, you're looking for in the wrong place for the wrong car and everything else. Yes. And uh, so I guess they made a movie about it later. But And if I'm not mistaken, not only did she say that, but she also drew a portrait of this individual. Yeah. The, On air. Uh, what was that guy's name, Malvo? Lee... Uh, uh, the young guy. Okay. Let me search it up. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, no. She did a portrait of the guy. She did a portrait of the, the young guy that was being manipulated by the old guy. Yes. Lee Boyd Mal Malvo. Yeah. And if you look uh, in her book, actually it's on page 332, there's the sketch because she used, she took her artistic talents, which were... You know, I mean, she'd been painting all of her life and studied under some really, really great artists in Chicago. And she took that gift, being able to sketch and do, doing a rendering of missing people and stuff like that. I mean, there are sketches in the uh, appendix of her book of, you know, that she had done to solve some of the missing persons cases that she worked on. Mm-hmm. But, oh, here they are. The outstanding predictions over the years. <laughs> the firing of General McChrystal. She predicted uh, Obama's election two years before he ran for office. Wow. Uh, the Lockerbie bombing of Pan Am Flight 103. Uh, she predicted things about the economy, specific things. I mean, um, let's see what else. Oh, yeah, the hurricane. I remember... Uh, we were in Charleston in 1989 before Hurricane Hugo hit, and that was a Category 5 hurricane. And uh, she was on public radio. I'll never forget that interview, too. It was incredible. The radio host, uh, or I should say anchor, said, well, so what do you see for... Uh, you know, um, the, the, the coast here, what's going on? She said, oh, my God, I see total devastation. And, I mean, everything she said on that public radio show, it turned out like a month later, it, we got hit with Hurricane Hugo, and we, you know, wow. we were like out to sea. It was, it was, it was total devastation. Mm -hmm. But uh, her first case that she ever worked on as a psychic, as a medium, was back in the Chicago days, when they had that Tylenol case, and I think, you know, when they, uh, the, the tampered bottles, mm -hmm. I know you remember the story, but yes. it, it was very involved. And she got a little publicity out of that, which sort of 
put her on her course, you know, to, to uh, working with police and doing things. But mostly everything she did was covertly because she worked with Secret Service. She did all kinds of things that she couldn't come out and talk about it, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stuff in her book. And she really, really had to still keep secrets writing the book, you know, like she dealt with the Kennedys. Um, when when uh, President Kennedy's spirit came to her with a message for uh, some people in, in the family. Mm. And she made a promise to them. She said, I will never reveal this in any way. And they thanked her up and down. They said, oh, my God. It was like a life-saving thing. Yes. And she said, I will never tell. And, you know, I mean, so many people, they're so publicity-hungry. And my mother, she just sort of... I don't know. She's a great teacher of meditation and spiritualism and how to, mm-hmm. how to eat, drink and think and walk and talk and everything. And, and she did that all her life. She felt like it was a higher calling. So yes. some people actually want to bring glory to themselves while others want to bring glory to the higher power and to heal other people without bringing it upon themselves. Exactly. Well, she, uh, this is why when I, I, designed her the the cover of her book i mean my mother was absolutely a beautiful beautiful woman she yeah, looked she a lot was. like elizabeth taylor when she was young and so i did a put, put sort of a compilation a little collage of uh, photographs of her all her life and because i thought you know the one thing <laughs> about selling books and things like that as a publicist i know is that you know when you have a, a beautiful subject it it Sometimes people, they can't see beyond anything except the, the surface, you know. Mm-hmm. And so she was beautiful inside and out. But I, I told her, you know, at the end, I said, Mom, don't worry. I said, I'll get your message out there. And I promised her that I, you know, that I would, that I would take her message to the masses as much as I possibly could. Yeah. Were you a recipient of your mother's gifts? I know that you're a singer, you're an artist. Are you able to pretty much pour into whatever it was she was able to pour into and bring information back? Well, that's the most that's the most common question that I get all the time because, you know, I mean, it's not like I'm on the radio all the time. I, I, I As you know, I work behind the scenes booking other people on radio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, whenever I do an interview or something or talk about my mom, everybody asks me that. And and the thing I always tell people is her message was that it was like what Jesus said, you know, this, this you too can do and even better than I, you know, it's like know thyself and understand who you are. And I mean, her philosophies, you know, they, they were a combination of Eastern thought, Christianity, everything, you know, all, all combined. Plus the fact that her relatives, some of her relatives were, she always said that her great-grandmother was part Cherokee Indian, so she even took some of the Indian philosophies and everything that she did. I mean, we studied Gandhi back, I remember wow. back in the 80s. It was so much fun because when, God, when that great movie came out with Ben Kingsley, it sort of made people aware, much more aware of Gandhi and what he was all about. Mm-hmm. and. So I started sending for all these books from India, and we started studying all of his philosophies. But that didn't stop my mother. I mean, she she had like 
thousands of books in her in her library of everything from Einstein to you know I mean the the great poets and the novelists yes. everybody she studied everybody and she was just a an open clear clear channel and Saint Catherine of Siena was was um, her what do you call it pièce de résistance. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds a lot like me. Uh, I believe that it is our ultimate goal to gain knowledge that we should not just sit in one place mentally, physically, or emotionally. We should always challenge ourselves to become better and to learn more than what we already know. Wow. The the tragedy about like you you um, you notice it so much in in the world today is that you know everybody's online and staring at their phones and they're not really communicating. Yes. Um, I love technology myself. I mean, <laughs> I do have to spend you know a certain amount of time online to run my business, but I make it a point to get out and meet people, which is why I moved to Huntington out here. It's like the best place to live if you want to go out and meet people and you know right around the corner there's a wellness center they have chiropractic they have um they have herb shops it's like it was just made for where i need to live right now mm-hmm. you know to sort of recapture my spiritual self and and rebuild myself as sort of from the soul on out yes. i'm cleaning my soul <laughs> <laughs> i'm right there with you doing a house cleaning here yes <laughs> There are times when I'm staying, when I stay in the house for a long period, like when it's icy out or you're sick or whatever happens, I personally can become a recluse, but, and it takes me a while to get back into the motion of getting back out. But once you're out, it becomes second nature to you once again, at least it does for me. But when, when you get stuck into a rut, that becomes your life for a while and you have to kick your rear end to get back out. Well, listen, growing up in Chicago, you know, it's like they talk about everybody's whining and crying. Oh, God, I've got this horrible winter depression. We didn't get any winter depression. We didn't have to go, you know, buy massive bottles of vitamin D. We just didn't let the weather stop us. I mean, I remember back then, Mayor Daly, boy, he wouldn't, he would not, he would rather die than close (laughs) (laughs) O'Hare. Now they close it, you know. Two inches of snow. Oh, my God. I almost died a few few weeks ago when uh, de Blasio closed down the subways and everything, and there was mm-hmm. like six inches of snow, and I thought, oh, God, we're turning into, you know, a little bit wimpy there. I mean, nothing stops. And living here in this little village, it reminds me of being back in Chicago because, I mean, it has been like four degrees the past two weeks. And I go out and there are people walking along the sidewalk. They don't care. They're walking their dogs, you know, and getting out and communicating with other people. And I'm hoping to sort of get back to the things that, that my mother taught me all through, all through my life and, and how to, how to meditate and how to tune into your higher self and, you know, just become a better person, Mm -hmm. you know, that's all we can hope for. Yes. What was your mother's advice to you to be able to tune into your higher self, to be able to meditate, etc.? Well, she taught meditation. She was a real believer in the power of meditation. She wanted her ultimate goal was to go into the prisons and rehabilitate um, 
uh, many of the inmates through, and she actually did. She communicated with a lot of wow. people in prison. She, she went in there and uh, taught them to meditate and become better people. And I don't mean, you know, turn into like, uh, you know, terrorists or something and start communicating with ISIS. <laughs> Nothing like that. But, you know, I mean, just, just to sit quietly, just sit still. I mean, that's the problem that we're running around like crazy maniacs all the time trying to, trying to get everything done and we don't sit quietly enough. Yes. We're running around like chickens with their heads cut off. Well, silent, the song that I was, I was telling you, I, you know, I had this song called silence is the healer. Yes. And I, it took me for, it took me three months to record it. Um, finally got it done in January and, Oh my God, I had to do it because my mother loved that song. I wrote, I kind of wrote it for her, but it's also for the troops and, uh, you know, what they go through when they're out in the, in the battlefield and they come home and, you know, mm-hmm. PTSD and the whole thing. But she loved that song so much. She said, before she passed away, she said, Sandy, you've got to rec- record that song and make yourself happy with it. You know, work, find the right musicians and record it the right way. Yes. And silence is the healer is, says everything about what she was all about and what she taught as far as meditating, tuning in to, you know, your better self, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, what, what is that also? The better angels of your nature. <laughs> and we and will, uh, song. yes. And we will play the, uh, silence is the healer at the end of the show. If that's okay with you. Absolutely. Are you kidding? I need all the publicity I can get. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm actually working on an album, so you know. It's, oh, are you? Yeah, it's my uh, it's my project that I, I've been working on for the past year. I don't get a lot of time, but I'm recording with some incredible musicians. I've got uh, I'm working on the sixth song for the album now, and I hope to have the the album ready by the summer. And it's really songs that you know that I've written over the years that I just. You know, I wanted to do them the right way where I'm happy with them. And, you know, Mm -hmm. hopefully everybody else will get something out of it, too. Well, I'll tell you this. I've listened to a lot of your songs that you have on SoundCloud. And as I told you before, one of my favorites is a demo of yours called Living in the Afterlife. That's a great song just for being a demo. I can't wait to hear the actual... Well, that song is... I mean, you can tell the influence of my mother there because it's like... And I was I was very much involved with studying uh, Maurice Maeterlinck. Um, it's funny because I was on Facebook two days ago, and I friend I'm friends with Yoko Ono. You know, I'm really good friends with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in quotes, and she said she was wearing a blue hat, and she said, "I just love my blue hat." You know how she's sort of conceptual, and she said, "I just love my blue hat because it reminds me of the bluebird of happiness." And then she quoted something from Maeterlinck, and I did not see one single comment. Nobody, nobody caught on. And I said, oh, my God, that's a major link. <laughs> One of my favorite, favorite writers in the world. But he was also a mystic. And he was very famous um, at the beginning. See, when was it? In the 20s, I think. And he came out with the play, The Bluebird. And when he arrived in America, they, they welcomed him on Fifth Avenue with a ticker tape parade only it was like little bluebirds flying all over the mm-hmm. place but that song was so much inspired by the bluebird and Maeterlinck and I'd love to record all of my songs inspired by him but it takes so much time yes it does 
And now for a brief message. Are you a patron of the far side? If you're not, would you like to be? By being a patron of the far side, you are supporting the type of shows that we produce. You may not like every show we produce, but as a listener, I assume there are many of these shows that you really have enjoyed listening to. And if you would like to support the future of the far side, you can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash farside or thefarside.tv slash support. And now back to Sandy Frazier. I'm going to go back to one of your mother's predictions for 2009 that I listened to, and it was concerning President Obama. Yeah. And in a trance-like state, I guess she was uh, speaking in the uh, form of this Catholic nun? St. Catherine of Siena. Yes, I guess that's who was speaking. And she essentially was saying that the president's going to make huge changes to the laws and policies, including trade being a place of change. And as we all know, the decades-old embargo of Cuba has a strong possibility of changing, of being lifted. Yeah. I mean, that just occurred, what was it, several months ago, and now they probably will lift it? Because of Obama? Exactly. I mean, she, listen, if you could go back through her millions of tapes, she taped everything. And a lot of them were lost in moves and things like that. But I have, there are a lot of transcripts out there um, because her, her clients and students would sort of gather in a circle and she would do all these predictions and stuff. And so they were well documented over, over the years, but that particular one, she, she really was a, she really, really liked Obama a lot as a person. Mm-hmm. She thought that it was a change that the world needed, you know, to sort of open people's eyes about many, many different things, which obviously he has. I mean, he's done what he said he was going to do. Uh, many of us don't agree with it, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, she, it, it was uncanny, the things that she said about, it was like she was in tune with Obama. <laughs> it's just like she said that, He's going to do a lot of great things that people won't always like it. People are going to hate him. People are going to love him. But when it comes right down to it, that she thought if he allows himself to be, he would be a great influencer to the world in a better enlightened state. Yeah. Well, I think history is going to write a whole different story of him and Bush. I mean, that you got both sides of the coin there. And, uh, you know, really a lot of, a lot of Republicans think that Bush is, was, you know, kind of like Obama in a lot of ways and mm-hmm. they're very full of Bush, but it really is just the, the same, almost a continuation of the Bush years. And I mean, I, I felt good about Bush. I mean, I actually got to meet him and look in his eyes and shake his hand and, I felt his vibrations that he was a very good man, you know, mm-hmm. I haven't been able to touch Obama or look at him, you know, but I don't know. I, I don't know Obama, you know, his, it's like what Giuliani said the other day about, it. he doesn't love America. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody knows Obama's heart and soul. Nobody knows the president, what he, you know, and I just don't think, I don't like even if I don't agree with Obama and I don't like his policies or whatever, I still believe in the office. And I think the protocol should sort of go back to what it used to be, you know, a little bit more respect. 
Yes, I, I, I can definitely agree with that. You know, I don't like how these people talk. You know, they're just constantly hammering away and, you know, Obama this, Obama that. They should call him Mr. President, Mr. Speaker, well, <laughs> Mr. And, Vice President. You know, in today's age, we, we have gotten so far away from politeness, and yet we're in the age of political correctness. I know. How's that? How's that even happening? Politeness, political correctness. Which one are we doing? Well, political correctness is going to get us all killed one day if we don't if we don't stop with some of that. And I, representing, some, I represent some truly phenomenal people out there in homeland security, nas- national security, and uh, terrorism experts. And they're all warning, you know, that all this political correctness stuff has got to stop because, and we need to toughen up in America and you know face face our so, and mm-hmm. on, with the knowledge of who they are, yes. you know, and admit it. You know, this is the way I live my life, that people would think that since I say I'm a Southern Baptist, that if someone slapped me in my face, I would turn the other cheek. But no, I would not. Instead, I would break the hand that slapped me. If it belonged to a man, if it belonged to a woman, I'd be like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well... Honestly, it's very, very, the big challenge in life that all of us have, living, living by the tenet of the Sermon on the Mount and just, you know, the golden rule. I mean, that's it. That's it in a nutshell. It's very simple what Jesus taught and what all of the great prophets taught, you know? But mm-hmm. I think, I mean, in my world, I'm a Christian, and I just, I believe in, in that tenet. I, you know, Gandhi, for all of this... All of the worldliness in in his his life in India and Africa. I mean, he really at the end he said, you know, above all, I'm a Christian and I I believe in the Sermon on the Mount and that's what I live my life by. Mm-hmm. Let's get into another thing that your mother mentioned in the 2009 uh, predictions. She was asked about extraterrestrial life, and the response was, there are thousands of beings on the Earth, and that these beings can invade a human's body or an animal's body, and that our energy, whether it's negative or positive, it can attract beings of being negative or positive as well, and that they can influence our lives. What do you know yeah, about well, that? She, uh, she taught that a lot. As a matter of fact, she left a tape that I found, or a CD, I should say, of a recording of her talking about aliens, um, and some of her experiences, and, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I mean, we laughed about it a lot and everything, and I said, Mom, are you sure that there is a, you know, I mean, I never saw an alien, I don't know, <laughs> you know, but she really believed in them. She says that we're very arrogant to not think that, you know, to think that we're the only beings and that, that we need to uh, realize that there are many dimensions and many lives beyond lives, and, and they're... They're watching us. <laughs> yes, that's what she said. They're watching us. They're uh, observing us, observing us, trying to see what we're doing and in some way influencing us to try and live a better life. I mean, I don't know if it's like a Whitley Stryber thing or anything like that. That movie scared the daylights out of me. Yeah. But, but, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I try to stay grounded because I don't I haven't had that experience, but. I can imagine the people that have, I mean, they're so real, you know, and it's just a shame. Like I said before, these, some of these 
crazy, not very well researched documentaries and mm-hmm. mini uh, mini series or whatever you call them on on cable. I mean, my God, every time you turn around, it's a ghost this and a ghost that and aliens and yes. you know you. I I think you have to pay attention to the the facts and the you know who was it that that um, that couple that was abducted. I think it was a black guy and a white woman. I can't think of their names, but I remember reading about that, and I thought, that sounds awfully convincing to me, because they had no agenda. Barney and Betty Hill. Exactly, yeah. They were, I think they were an interracial couple back then or something, and it was yes. It was very unusual, um, and so maybe they got a little publicity out of that, but they didn't seem like they had an agenda, you know, as far as, but I don't know that much about aliens and things like my mom, if she was, if she was here right now, she could talk day and night about it because Mm. she really, uh, she really believed in aliens and she had her own experiences herself. I wonder if your mother would ever come back in the form, the same form as, uh, what was her name? St. Catherine. I don't know. I mean, I, I was talking to Jim, uh, you know, her, her friend, our, our, our friend, uh, that she was with for all those mm-hmm. years. And he went through so many of the experiences with her. And I said, you know, is she going to reincarnate? And he said, no, she said, she told him over and over. And he was there at the very end. I mean, with her, uh, he took care of her the last year of her life. And, uh, she, um, she kept telling him, you know, she doesn't want to come back. She wants to, she wants to stay out there if, if possible, <laughs> you know, who mm-hmm. knows what, what would be allowed, you know, once you hit judgment day and, oh boy, I'm not looking forward to that. I don't yes. know about you. <laughs> you know, thinking about this, I've always believed that there are different levels to the human spirit, that there are the lower levels that are reincarnated. And as we continue reincarnation, we raise to a higher level. And I do wonder if the extremely psychic individuals are at almost a teacher level. No, no, I understand what you're saying. It's like, it's like the karmic wheel, you know, yes. you come back in life after life. And, and now she has reached such a level where she doesn't need to return because she has attained yeah. that goal. Yeah, because a lot of people asked her about Hitler and, you know, these truly evil people. And she would say, you know, that soul exploded out into the atmosphere. I mean, she had a specific... Uh, theory about all of the things about reincarnation and wow. how you come back. You can't come back as a dog, you know, just because, although, you know, I truly believe that, that my, my dad came back as, as my dog because I kept, he loved, he loved his dog so much. And, and when I adopted my dog, mm-hmm. um, I went over to uh, the adoption center and the only dog that was there uh, was named Heidi. And that was his dog's name. And, and he had passed away, and his dog had passed away. And I think he loved that dog so much, he said, I'm coming back as a dog. I'm telling you. <laughs> Either that or as a head of lettuce. <laughs> a head of lettuce. Yeah. He said, because if, if, I have, if they make me eat one more head of lettuce, I'm going to explode into the universe. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he was really, really serious about that. He loved animals, sometimes more than people. <laughs> mm-hmm. But no, she really did. She... Uh, she defined all of these things. She, I don't know if it's that she was tuning in and all these things that she did as far as the trance sessions, many, many, oh my God, there were hundreds. And 
I don't know, maybe even thousands that she did over the years. And I was there for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And I could not believe the things. I mean, Jim, our friend, he sat there and he, he would ask because he was a professor and he was, you know, a lot smarter than us. Um, he would ask real specific scientific questions. And I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I could do a whole book just on her predictions. Mm-hmm. Was your mother able to heal other individuals such as with Edgar Casey that he could go in and tell someone what's wrong with them and, and sometimes he could spiritually go in and heal them yeah and he I don't know well Edgar Casey I, he, I think that she was a lot like Edgar Casey because she would say she could heal other people but could not heal herself mm-hmm. you know and I don't think he could heal himself um, something about you know, it being the sacrifice and that you make being a healer because there are a lot of healers out there. I don't know if you ever saw that movie with Ellen Burstyn, that resurrection movie. Yes. And, uh, she, I mean, that was so real and it was so much like my mother's life. I couldn't believe it when that movie came out. It reminded me of her. Oh God. She even sort of dressed like her and she got ridiculed wherever she went. And, you know, mm-hmm. and that, and yet, people were lining up to see her. And, uh, in the movie, she was a faith healer, but she couldn't, uh, she couldn't heal herself. And then finally she learned how to uh, turn that healing inward. And so she could, uh, walk again. I guess she couldn't walk in the movie, Mm -hmm. but have you considered taking your mother's story to lifetime and try and turn it into a lifetime movie? Well, yeah, I mean, the, I wrote a treatment for this documentary, and she always wanted to have a movie made because it would tell, it would show all the things that she had to go through as a, you know, in order to become. It's such a unique story. I mean, how many, how many uh, life story biographies or whatever are out there that tell the story of how to become a trans medium mm-hmm. and all the things that you go through, all the pain and suffering and. Oh my God. And she was highly accurate in her predictions. Yeah. And my mom just, she just, she suffered so much, you know, it's just, even at the end. And I think that she didn't take the medication or the dialysis because I think she felt like it was going to trans transport her into, like you said, a higher being and she could do better work in the universe. Mm -hmm. Possibly even if she were to take the medications that we take today, even Tylenol could be a yeah. suppressant. It could hinder her abilities. She wouldn't even, I swear, she would never even take an aspirin. I would say, Mom, you don't have to suffer, you know, be a wimp like me, take an aspirin. Mm-hmm. She'd say, nope. She wouldn't take anything. She never took drugs. She didn't smoke. She didn't drink. Nothing. Only thing I drink is sweet tea and water. Sweet tea's the elixir of the South. It will heal everything, I'm telling you. I know it. <laughs> it fights crime, removes unwanted hair, cures cancer. <laughs> yes, it does everything. I know. Jim, uh, my friend in Charleston, he came up here to New York, and we, we went out to dinner, and he goes, I'd like some sweet tea, please. <laughs> and I said, Jim, they don't have sweet tea here. <laughs> oh, I've been through that before. I have in-laws up in Minnesota. And when I asked for sweet tea, they brought me tea and a bottle of liquid sugar. Yeah. <laughs> I have a soft spot in my heart for the South because most of my relatives, you know, on both my parents' side are from the deep South. And uh, 
of course, we know Elvis Presley was from the Deep South, so yes. <laughs> can't go wrong there. <laughs> and you know, another mystery is I'm not sure if he is alive or if he actually did die. Does your Did your mother ever look into that? She was asked all the time about celebrities. I mean, John Lennon, uh, Elvis. I can't remember specifically what she said about any of them, but Jim would know. God, he knows. He, he remembers all that stuff, but mm-hmm. she really... I don't even think we put any of that stuff in the book. We didn't put anything that was sort of like uh, entertainment hype type things. You know, it's really the story about a woman in America coming from the Great Depression in the Deep South and, you know, coming to light. I mean, I, I, I have put, you know, that treatment that I put together. I sent it to, I can't think of who I sent it to. I don't know if it was Lifetime. A couple of those, uh, cable networks and they're so much into uh you know kardashians reality shows <laughs> and all that stuff so but when the time is right it'll happen yes i i can't believe some of those shows keeping up with the kardashians honey boo boo you know <laughs> anyways well, i know i was i, I watched uh, an, uh, a couple of episodes of honey boo boo but you know i really i kind of thought you know that family they it's, i mean i don't know if they're pretending but they always they really seem to love each other <laughs> that that they do that they don't seem to be all that bright but they love each other i think that's what's important <laughs> yeah and they, they're able to tolerate all their bad manners and you know jumping around in, in the same bed and things like that but you know yeah. it could be worse right <laughs> it could be before we head out i do want to ask you about your mother's visitation with President Lincoln. What do you know about that? Yeah, she actually put that in in the book. I think there was uh, Lincoln and Kennedy. And I remember, God, you think I'd know this thing by heart, but uh, Lincoln and Kennedy were the two presidents that came to her. And um, there was something about Mary Surratt. Hmm. She actually went to the gallows. <laughs> I mean, she didn't go to the gallows, but she went to, um, you know, to that area and tuned in to the, there's like a whole chapter in her book about Mary Surratt. Yes. But yeah, it said, uh, it says that Catherine taught, well, she said, Catherine taught me that if you want to take care of any kind of unfinished business with loved ones who have passed on, the best way is to dialogue with them on paper. And that's how... Sometimes she would start dialoguing and start writing things down, like automatic writing. Mm-hmm. And uh, she would get a lot of messages. And I guess one day she's sitting there and and she starts talking to uh, Abraham Lincoln. And uh, she said that she was very nervous. She was doing it in a classroom. It, like a, one of her students asked her to show, uh, show them how she does this dialoguing. And she, she thought, oh, God, they're going to think I'm nuts, you know? <laughs> and so all of a sudden, you know, the, the obvious, like, were you killed by John, John Wilkes Booth and things like that. So why, why are you here? What are you, you know, what are you trying to communicate? Do you have a message from the beyond? Uh, are you trying to reach anybody in particular? And a lot of times, I mean, it's like with the Kennedy. She will, she'll relay the, the message and then move on. Mm-hmm. You know, she did that with uh, back in the 80s when President Reagan was the attempted assassination. She was told 
she was warned about that and got actually got a message to the Secret Service before it happened. Hmm. And your own website is sandyfraser.com. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. F-R-A-Z-I-E-R. It's, uh, yeah, pretty much my music and my art. That's not my professional. Uh, yes. Well, that's where we want to send people because you have a lot of great artwork and music available. Well, thank you. How old were you when you began to artistically express yourself? Well, I used to sit by my mom while she painted, and she always reminded me of those times. She said, you, you know, because she was an oil painter. She painted the, great, the old master's paintings. And I would say, Mom, please, just let me have a little bit of paint. <laughs> you know? And she would give me a little canvas, you know, a little uh, brush. And I started painting in oils and when I was a little kid. And I never really had much of an education. I mean, I did go to some college, finished high school, went to, did some college. But, you know, mainly I've been working all my life. So, you know, yes. I, had to get my, I had to educate myself. But, yeah, I mean, just... Art is a constant, it's something that, it's like a passion, and I love it so much. Mm -hmm. My uh, new apartment looks like an art gallery right now. (laughs) (laughs) There's one painting I'm looking at right now, it's interesting, it's called The Umbilical Connection, and and it actually looks like a, until you blow it up to me, it looked like a burrito with a person in it. (laughs) Well, I'm actually looking at the original painting as we speak, and that's uh, sort of, I was studying Picasso and his uh, method. Uh, it's called uh, paper clay, papier clé, <laughs> and uh, it's really a type of collage making. But it's uh, I use it in my art a lot because I want texture and I want you know a lot of different things going on. But that's, that's an autobiographical painting. Oh, is you know, it? <laughs> connecting with my um, you know. My, the person in me that's in really, really good shape, you know, yes. like deep inside. <laughs> and it looks, and I'm looking through your website, sandyfraser.com. It looks like you have a book out yourself titled The Mystic uh, Artist. Yeah, The Mystic Artist. I wrote that several years ago, but I came up with an updated version last year. And uh, that book is also on Amazon. talks about the artists being a channel for a higher force Mm. and you know it it really it talks about all artists throughout all time you know up to the present day Mm -hmm. and how they you know how they get their inspiration how where does it come from why is it that certain people are talented in art and they can express themselves easily where some people like they say, you can't draw a straight line. Listen, if you can't draw a straight line, you're probably a really good artist. <laughs> <laughs> Picasso said if you could put one line, if you, have, if you have nerve enough to put one line on a canvas, then you can proceed on to your masterpiece. <laughs> and I listen, I use that theory a lot when I have a blank canvas before me. There was an individual back in the 80s or 90s who was a psychic, but... His psychic impressions would actually come on the form of canvas. He would paint events, and he he would have no idea if it was going to happen or not. Back in, I guess it was 89 or 98, something like that, he yeah. drew the Twin Towers being hit by airplanes. Well, I have. On, <laughs> that's funny you should mention that, because I have several uh, prophetic paintings that I did myself 
before 9-11, I had dreams. <laughs> I actually, my mother asked me to tune in and do a reading for her in 1989, and I still had the tape. And it talks about all these Saudi Arabians and uh, Afghanistan, and all these things I didn't know anything about. And then I started doing all these paintings. In one of them, you can actually see bin Laden's face. Wow. So it's a form of automatic writing. I call it automatic painting, <laughs> you know, because it really, you can, you can, uh, you can take your art and make it into something much more important, you know, yes. almost like doing a psychic reading. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do have the Twin Towers in a couple of paintings too, before it happened. Wow. And I was painting a lot of Egyptian stuff. I mean, lots of, oh God, I have the pyramids in... I don't know how many paintings, like about 50 of my paintings, I have the pyramids and a lot of Egyptian themes. I kind of figured that might be from a past life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a huge love for Egypt myself, especially the Egyptian pyramids. The Yeah, uh, Every, everybody thinks they were Cleopatra in the past life, but, you know, in reality, I was probably a ditch digger. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was Bozo the Clown. That's who I think I was. <laughs> Well, I'll I remember Bozo being from Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me. Were you ever a uh, paranormal investigator? Uh, well, with my mother for years. I mean, we got, got in all kinds of trouble. I mean, we would go out and just, you know, uh, one time we went to Coney Island, for instance. Mm-hmm. It was so funny. And I had my video camera, and I videotaped everything. And it was probably, see, 90... 94, 95, somewhere around there. And it's when Coney Island was really going downhill. It was just, it looked like a ghost town. Mm. And so we went there and I said, Mom, what's wrong with Coney Island? And so she tuned in and she started talking about all this corruption throughout the years. And she saw fires. She saw all kinds of stuff. And so I wrote up a transcript of it, and then I did a whole bunch of research on Coney Island, and I couldn't believe it. Every single thing she said was true, you know, and it, because Coney Island has a very um, jaded history. A lot of people don't know that, but, you know, it had several owners. It burned down a couple times, but it was, uh, it was, it was really fascinating to be there and actually see her. When we arrived, there were all these dark clouds all around, hmm. and there were these dogs, really wild dogs. I mean, they were just running around, and they were scary. They looked, I don't know, they just looked like wolves or something. And, and I said, Mom, look over there at the dogs. And they were jumping around like they were rabid dogs. And as soon as she got done with the sort of exorcism and cleaning out the, the bad spirits, all the clouds parted. And I videotaped this whole thing. The clouds parted and the dogs calmed down. And all of a sudden it felt so good to be there. Mm-hmm. And so we went over to the, the old rusty roller coaster. It was falling apart. And uh, years later now, they're, you know, they're rebuilding and it's, it's like a whole different place now. I like to somehow think that my mom had something to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I do have a last question about your mother, about what your mother may believe. What was your mother's beliefs on what 
demons were when she went to an exorcism were they the fallen angels or were they something else well i don't think that she believed that they were a particular entity it it was something within the people you know mm-hmm. it's kind of like the movie the exorcist you know where it it was something within them if there's it's like when people tell you there's something wrong with your dog mm-hmm. and your dog is a mean dog. Well, there is no such thing as a mean dog. There are only mean owners, you know, or yes. mean uh, dog parents. I hate that word owners. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I'm a dog person, but I just think that it's something within you. That's that, like the dark part of you. It has to be cleansed and you have to work your whole life as you know, and as especially Baptists, I remember going to the, you know, those Holy Roller uh, uh, church services on Wednesdays and Sundays. And, you know, we cried and asked God to come into our lives and uh, Jesus saved me and all that. And we did it all the time because we were scared to death of the evil within us taking over. And mm-hmm. it's a plight for humanity. I mean, you know, look what's going on in the world. I mean, it's so horrifying to even think about it. Even at a young age, I was always trying to figure out, how do I not go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays? <laughs> and I was always tr- trying to figure out how to go on Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday. I love the music because, you know, <laughs> it, it just taught me so much about fellowship and music. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, I loved it so much. That was like one of the best times of my life. Back in the late 70s into the early 80s, I remember laying in debt my father's chair, watching Zorro, and I'm thinking, okay, it just started, and we're going to church. I'm going to pretend I'm asleep. That never worked. Well, my brother and I used to, we used to play hooky, too. We'd go down to, we'd take our offering money and go to the diner, but it was, you know. Here's God's money. He wants me to buy a hamburger. Well, that was years later, though. It, the, the church that I went to, oh, my God, we had so much fun. There were so many activities for the young people. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a youth fellowship. I was very young, and you know, but it was very inspiring to me. I actually grew out of going to church. I'm not exactly yeah. sure why, but I really consider myself a uh, unorthodox Christian. I don't believe in the same ways that most Christians do. I mean, after all, I believe in alien beings and ghosts, and it's okay to talk to the dead. Well, you're like my mother was. She she believed the church is in your soul, in your heart. You know, she had church. She had the church uh, when when her clients would come to her Sunday evening uh, sessions, and they'd all sit around and meditate, mm-hmm. and you know, try to just try to calm down, and you know, stay yes. away from drugs and alcohol and too much of this and too much of that, you know? One thing I did want to touch on for just a second was when when you were mentioning that you don't think your mother believed in uh, when a person was being exorcist, that they were attached with a demon or anything else, that it was something from within, that it was it more like a uh, inner poltergeist, that there's an outer poltergeist that a person can create of their own emotions, raw emotions, but was this somehow, do you think, a uh, more of an inner poltergeist that did not release itself? Well, it's like those fundamentalist preachers that go around, you know, the, <clears throat> and they, they, you know, they're <laughs> trying to exercise the demons, you know, 
I, I mean, those, those guys are trying to make it more complicated than it is. And she was trying to teach people that they could do that for themselves. They could, they could get rid of the evil in their, in their lives by mm-hmm. sitting quietly and listening. She said, meditation is meditation is uh, uh, prayer is talking to God and meditation is listening for the answers. Yes. I think I would not be all that afraid if I were uh, possessed unless my head started to spin all the way around and I started spewing uh, pea soup. At that point, I think I'd be very worried. Well, listen, some of the exorcisms she did, and she describes in her book, too, they were pretty, pretty graphic. I mean, they were, you know, she, she dealt with some pretty uh, disturbed people. Mm-hmm. But mainly she prided herself on her work with the police and missing persons cases yes. and stuff like that. Because those things, you know, I mean, that's like changing a person's life, changing an entire family's life. Mm-hmm. I had a psychic on the show once, and uh, she told me that I was psychic, which is strange to me. But, you know, I, I've actually heard things all my life. I've experienced things, but she told me I was psychic. And for a moment there, I thought she was telling me I was psychotic. I was like, what? <laughs> well, to hear it from my mom, it might be one and the same thing. <laughs> really, But she, you know, she knew that she was a very eccentric soul on this earth. And she didn't, she never did anything the way any, she was not like anyone else. That's the best way to live your life. Be unlike <laughs> anyone else. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Sandy, I've definitely appreciated this conversation to learn about your mother. I I really wish she was here with us because I would have loved to just sit down and have a conversation with her just like we are today. Well, God bless you, Mom. I know where you are because you're right here with me and touching uh, the lives of all of her children every day. Mm -hmm. I honestly believe that even when our parents leave us, they have not left us. They are always here with us. E- even if we have children who die before we do, I honestly don't believe they ever leave us. Well, it depends on the situation because, you know, in a lot of readings, a lot of people came to her for readings, my mother, and she, she would tell them, you know, your sister is really your daughter's mother from a past life. That's why she feels like her aunt is more like her mother and things like that. Ah. I mean, so there were a lot of variables. I mean, you know, psychological studies that have been made on, you know, why certain people uh, are prodigies or they, they feel connected to certain areas of the world or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, in my opinion, you're, you're nuts not to believe in a past life. How, exactly. How could, how could you think that this was the only chance that you're going to get it at getting it right? I, I pray to God that that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> I've told my own mother about this, but she doesn't believe in the reincarnation whatsoever. She says it is not in the Bible, but I have to go back to her and tell her, do you remember where the Bible, where Jesus says you cannot reach the kingdom of heaven in one lifetime alone? And she responds, yes, but he's not talking about reincarnation. Then what the hell is he talking about, mom? (laughs) Well, I know, and I'm sure my mother got that all the time. You know, there's so many, to me, the Bible's confusing on a lot of levels, mainly because of the, the male-female thing, you know. Mm-hmm. 
they say, you know, women are to, to be seen and not heard and things like I was told that in the Baptist church. That's why I quit going to the Baptist church when I grew up because, you know, I was told that I was dressing too provocatively because I wore a, a skirt that wasn't, you know, past my knees or mm-hmm. something and, you know, wear the buttons up to, you know, button up, you know, and things like that. And, and believe me, if you know me, I've never dressed provocatively in my life, <laughs> but they really, they're so strict on women, you know, and it just, ugh, it just reminds me of all this stuff with the Taliban, those poor women in the Middle East yeah. and how they suffer so much. I knew a guy who was a, a motorcyclist, if you will. He would wear long hair, long, straggly beard. He he wouldn't wear great clothes because he didn't have great clothes, but he would go to church. And he was literally kicked out of church because of the way he looked. Yeah, certain churches are like that. And I've known people like that, too. And 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 I would tell them, why? I mean, these are the people you really want to reach. Yeah, these know? are God's people. I mean, Jesus probably looked like this guy, and you're kicking him out. Well, I just don't believe in indoctrination in any way and going out and recruiting people and trying to get people, you know, to to force them to join your religion. But mm-hmm. I think it's just, you know. This is what I believe about religion, people. that we yeah. are. it is all interconnected. I don't care if you're a Christian if you're a Jew, if you're Islamic, it doesn't matter. We're all interconnected somehow at, at a spiritual level. It's all the well, same. You remember the great Southern movie, Norma Ray, where she says, I thought you all had horns. <laughs> <laughs> she said that about the Jewish guy and ended up that he was her greatest teacher and mentor and that she admired him and then started reading Dylan Thomas and stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's how sometimes, listen, I would never criticize the Baptist church because they, they loved me to death. I mean, they really did. They taught me so much. And I had the time of my life in church, loved every minute of it. And it, it, was, it was one experience, you know, mm-hmm. then you move on to the next one. Exactly, exactly. Well, once again, Sandy, I definitely appreciate this. I would like to give you this opportunity right now before we leave to discuss anything you would like to whatsoever with the audience? Um, well. <laughs> your website, your upcoming works, anything that's important to you that you would just like to share? Well, the main thing is that I really want to get this documentary made of my mother's work and her, her life and just go to Amazon and buy Love and Light, Elizabeth Barron, B-A-R-O-N, and you're going you're gonna to read it and you're going to just be so shocked that this woman survived through all that she did, lived to be 76 years old, uh, you know, never took drugs after a certain point in her life where she had a resurrection. And it's just so inspiring. It's wonderful. My mother, she was a great teacher on this earth. And I think from the afterlife, she's going to continue. Oh, I believe that. I, I believe there are a lot of spiritual teachers who are here to guide us because without them, we're lost. We're lost individuals. We're lost souls without our spiritual teachers. And I believe that's what your mother is now. That's for sure. And for all the people, listen, I'm not saying I'm an Obama fan. <laughs> Most people know I'm not an Obama fan, <laughs> but truly, I believe that, you know, 
certain leaders are put before us, even Hitler, you know, or, you know, uh, this crazy Saddam Hussein and all these different people, they're put before us to teach us lessons. And, you know, mm-hmm. he, I think history is going to re- be completely rewritten about this man. And maybe, maybe it's not going to be as harsh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm hoping because I want America to really shine again, you know? Yes. Yes. It's been a long time since we did shine the way we should be. I know. You know, whenever I would hear back in the nineties, when I would hear about Saddam Hussein, I was a kid, teenager. I was like, are they talking about Saddam Hussein? You know, I would say that in school and I would get sent to the principal's office. I didn't say anything. Well, just, don't get me wrong. I'm not comparing Obama to any any bad leader. I I think he's got a good soul. I think he's got a good heart, and and obviously he, you know, he's a family man, loves his wife and children, and all that. And and there's a lot to be said for someone who's in, and maybe he's a little bit more universal than what people uh-huh. like. So maybe he's riding on a different uh, plateau, or you know, on he's tuning into a different dimension. Yes. Well, what I think's going on, you know, I I know people both sides, people that love Obama, people who hate Obama, and the people who hate Obama believe that he is anti-Christian, that he's a Muslim, and that he's destroying America. Well, I don't think he's, I don't think he's anti any religion. I think yeah. he's sort of he wants to be considered this sort of universal father figure, and. It's it's scary to a lot of people because it sounds like, uh, you know, uh, figures from the past that <laughs> ended up being more like dictators. But mm-hmm. I don't know. He he has to get control of his ego. That's for sure. Yeah. But and another thing, man. the socialist movement scares people, especially after what Hitler did. Well, sure. We're not we're not equipped in America to be a socialist society. Wouldn't and, it be nice, though, something like in Star Trek, if, if you were a fan of Star Trek, where they actually had a socialist movement, where you yeah. didn't have money, people were valued by their talents. Everything that they were able to give was your financial stake. It depends on the value you put on things, you know, that yes. you have. And, I mean, I've been blessed beyond belief. Being a very, Every day I wake up, I say, I thank God that for my health, and, you know, for my family yes, and my friends and just the beautiful home that I have and the good food that he, he lets me have. And just, I listen, I don't take credit for any of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think my mom, she would be proud on certain levels. Other levels, she'd be saying, now, Sandy, stay on your diet. <laughs> <laughs> I have that problem. I'm getting, I'm getting around to that, Mom, I swear. It's coming. <laughs> You have a lot of great talent, just like your mother did. And I definitely wish you continued success, especially with with what your passion is about, your music, your art. I know you're a publicist as well. Yeah, I'm L- very blessed. I love my business. Yes. And I'm going to play Silence is the Healer. Well, what can you tell us about this? Well, uh, that was a song that my mother asked me to record as she lay there on her dying bed and so I dedicate it to her.
Nintendo. 